Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Optimizing Patient Outcomes in Relapsed Refractory Multiple Myeloma, the Role of Novel BCMA-Targeted Bispecific Antibodies. To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported by an independent medical education grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Hello, everyone. My name is Saad Osmani. I am the Chief of Myeloma Service at the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm joined by my wonderful colleague, Dr. Joshua Richter, who will introduce himself. Thank you so much. My name is Josh Richter. I am one of the myeloma physicians at the Tisch Cancer Institute, Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, and excited to be participating in this great program about myeloma. In our first session, we will review current unmet needs with guideline recommended therapies for relapse refractory multiple myeloma. What we've recognized over the past 40 years is the survival of myeloma patients has continued to improve. In fact, the five-year survival rate for myeloma has doubled, especially in the last decade or so. Despite advanced treatments in myeloma, most of our patients have a disease relapse requiring subsequent treatment, and patients do develop resistance to existing therapies at the time of relapse. The five-year survival rate, especially for the high-risk patients, is less than 50%. So that's an important area of unmet need. So Dr. Richter, what are your thoughts around patients in early relapse? How do we think about the various treatment options we have? In myeloma, despite the fact that we have a vast knowledge of genomics, we don't have a clear guideline of exactly which patient should get which therapy. We always like to incorporate the three main factors, patient-related, disease-related, and treatment-related. But one of the core factors we really look at is what therapies have they had previously, what are they sensitive to, what are they naive to, and what are they refractory to. If they are not progressing on anything and they are still either naive or sensitive to lenalidomide, there's a number of options listed here with some of the best data coming from the Pollux trial with a combination of daratumumab, lenalidomide, and dexamethasone. However, if they're already refractory to lenalidomide going into their early relapse, as many patients are in the U.S., we considered non-lenalidomide-based regimens, many of them listed here involving the CD38 monoclonal antibodies, carfilzomib-based therapies, and pomalidomide-based therapies. What about patients in late relapses, Josh? This is where things become a, a bit more complicated. We look to our three main initial classes, the immunomodulatory drugs, the proteasome inhibitors, and the monoclonal antibodies. And if people have not yet had one of those, we definitely give them. But once you become refractory to those three main classes, we have to start looking towards other options, including cell and XOR-based therapy or some of our newer BCMA-targeted treatments. Yeah, and, and those include both CAR-T cell therapies, and now you know we have a bispecific antibody that's approved. So there are several areas of unmet need in the relapsed refractory setting. These myeloma cells can evade the existing mechanisms of actions. Patients either having high-risk idiotypic abnormalities or clinical high-risk features, such as circulating plasma cells or extramedullary disease, have this cycle of shorter and shorter PFS with each line of treatment. I think in the myeloma world, we really need to look to 
some of these newer agents like the BCMA-targeted agents. In the next session, we will discuss how BCMA-targeted bispecific antibodies might address some of these treatment gaps. In this session, we will review the role of BCMA-targeted bispecific antibodies in the current treatment algorithm. BCMA is a crucial part of myeloma pathogenesis. It's almost exclusively expressed in lymphocytes of B-cell origin and mature plasma cells, although it's even more highly expressed in malignant plasma cells. And we're actually starting to use soluble BCMA and measure this in the blood to help guide some of our treatments and responses, not just for our BCMA-based therapies, but for even some of our routine therapies that we've been using for many years now. So, Saad, I was wondering if you can walk us through the different types of approaches that we can use when we target BCMA. We initially had an approval for a kind of mechanism of action called antibody drug conjugate, which was discontinued from the U.S. markets, but is available to colleagues around the world. And the antibody part of this construct would be able to identify BCMA and deliver a toxic payload of chemotherapy to those cells. And the other mechanism of action is the CAR T-cell therapies, where we essentially take patients' T-cells and teach them how to recognize cells that have BCMA expression and then let those T-cells kill the BCMA. And in in a very similar kind of a fashion, the bispecific antibodies or T-cell engagers, one part of that structure can recognize BCMA on the cancer cell, the other part can recognize CD3 protein on the T-cell and brings the T-cell to do the cell kill. Josh, what are the pros and cons of each of these mechanisms of actions? The antibody drug conjugates are off the shelf. So if someone is progressing right away, we can use it. It's not currently available, so that's a downside. It doesn't rely on T-cell activity, so we don't have to worry about some of the same side effects we do with the others like CRS and ICONs. But the downside is that it does have this ocular toxicity uh, and requires administration under a REMS program, so that can sometimes limit its efficacy if we have to back off on dosing. Bispecific antibodies are highly effective therapies. They're off the shelf, so again, we don't have to wait for manufacturing. They do have a risk of CRS and ICONs with T-cell activation. They certainly have toxicities with infections. And at the current time, they're approved to treat until progression. CAR T-cell therapies are great. It's a one-and-done approach where we can collect patient cells, administer them, and there's no need for long-term chronic therapy. It does have the risk of CRS and ICONs as well as infection. The one downside is it can take up to four to eight weeks to obtain. Now, those manufacturing times are coming down, but even with rapid manufacturing quality control, it can still take a few weeks right now. And in our next session, we will review the clinical efficacy of BCMA CD3 bispecific antibodies in heavily pretreated multiple myeloma. In this next session, we will review the clinical efficacy of BCMA CD3 bispecific antibodies in heavily treated relapse refractory multiple myeloma. We can start with the first approved off-the-shelf BCMA bispecific antibody, teclistamab, which was approved for patients who have had four or more prior lines of treatment, including a proteasome inhibitor, immunomolitory drug, and an anti-CH38 monoclonal antibody. And this approval came at the heels of the phase 1B2 Majestic 1 study. More recently, we had the two-year follow-up 
on a total of 165 patients that were treated with the recommended phase two dose of 1.5 milligram per kilogram being given weekly. The overall response rate after a median follow-up of 22 months was 63%, and the median PFS was 12 and a half months, and the median OS for this population was almost 22 months. Another important drug in this particular class is alranitumab, and the response rate appeared to be similar to what has been reported with teclistumab. You know, there are some differences in how these drugs will be given. One is weight-based, the other is a fixed-dose treatment. But what are your thoughts around some of the other emerging bispecifics, Dr. Richter? So one of them is linvaseltamab, formerly known as REGN5458. This is another BCMA CD3 bispecific antibody. We've been studying it at a few different doses, but have finally settled on the 200 milligram dose of the drug. At the 200 milligram dose, although it starts off uh, initially weekly, once we get out to week 24, if you're in a VGPR better, we can switch to monthly dosing. And the recently presented data showed an overall response rate of around 71%. So the data is overall encouraging. I'm going to try to figure out how it fits into the landscape of the other bispecifics. Both of these are showing wonderful efficacy rates. In particular, I think some of the distinguishing features are not necessarily the overall response rates, which seem to be similar, but some of the administration characteristics. For example, the ABBV383 drug at the moment only requires a one-day hospitalization, which is quite nice as compared to some of the competitors and goes quite rapidly to monthly dosing. Although this one is a little bit further behind, it offers some maybe improved quality of life metrics for our patients. I think the efficacy appears to be very promising. And as you rightly pointed out, we have to learn using these therapies the right way. So in the next session, we will discuss the safety profiles of new and emerging BCMA-targeted bispecific antibodies in heavily treated relapse and refractory myeloma. And myeloma in and of itself is a hematologic malignancy. So it's not surprising that there are some hematologic toxicities associated with this class of agents including anemia, neutropenia, lymphopenia, and thrombocytopenia. Now, the other issues that we're looking at are some of the immediate and delayed effects, including CRS, known as cytokine release syndrome, ICONS, which is the immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome, and infection. Now, infections can arise from a number of places. Number one, you can get cytopenias. With some of these BCMA-targeted agents, you can get suppression of B cells and hypogamma globulinemia. And the way that I like to think about it is that these are all T-cell redirecting therapies. So if you have some T-cells that were earmarked to prevent and attack viruses and bacteria, unfortunately, infections can set in. So it's very important to prophylax and appropriately manage any infections with these agents. So Saad, we'd love to hear your thoughts about the overall safety profiles of some of the agents we talked about in the previous section. Looking at the safety profile of BCMA-targeted therapies, we have the longest follow-up with teclistumab, but then with elranitumab and linvaseltumab, we have a shorter follow-up. The common theme is the infection risk, which tends to go up in terms of grade three or higher infections with ongoing continuous therapy treatments. And we're trying to mitigate that by giving these therapies less frequently. In terms of grade three or higher CRS risk, it's there, but it's really single-digit percentages. 
and icons, grade three or higher, are also few and far between. What do you think about the prophylaxis for these infection issues? For patients receiving bispecific antibodies that target BCMA, we put patients on HSV prophylaxis with either acyclovir or valacyclovir. We put our patients on prophylaxis for PJP and judicious use of IVIG to prevent infectious complications. I think one of the reasons why we see some differences in the rates of higher grade infections across trials with BCMA bispecifics relates to when they were done. The more recent ones benefit from us knowing that we need to be a little more aggressive and give IVIG to prevent hypogammaglobulinemia. When we try to compare some of the side effects between the bispecifics and the CAR-Ts, we note that both of them can be associated with CRS and ICONs, but in general, the CRS that we see with bispecifics tends to be grade one and grade two, and ICON seems to be less of an issue overall. I think at the end of the day, these drugs are absolutely wonderful. They're providing some amazing responses, and especially in heavily pretreated patients. But the main adverse events we need to watch out for are infection, CRS, and ICONs. And I think that we're getting better at not only preventing them, but also treating them. And in our next session, we will discuss how these agents fit into the current treatment landscape of relapsed and refractory myeloma. In our final session, we will discuss how BCMA CD3 bispecific antibodies fit in the treatment landscape of relapsed refractory multiple myeloma based on the available data. The way that we can potentially think about using bispecifics versus CAR T cell therapy is really based on pace of disease as well as the proximity of patients to a transplant and cell therapy center. Dr. Richter, what can we learn from the available data for bispecific antibodies in the real-world population. The moment we're really deciding between CAR-T and bispecific for these relapsing patients. And one of the things that I took away is that in some of the early CAR-T trials, 10 to 15% of people never got the CAR-T that was collected because of some adverse event, progressive disease, infection. So part of picking the right patient is the kinetic or cadence of their relapse especially because bispecifics are off the shelf. It may be easier to give that if someone's disease is progressing quickly. However, for both of these therapies, high burden disease can lead to higher grade CRS. The other thing that we talk about is preserving T-cell health. And as we move along to some of our later line therapies, if you look in the NCCN guidelines, they still include things like bendamustine and cyclophosphamide. And I think I treat myeloma like a chess game. So you want to think a few steps ahead. So if you're thinking not too far from now that you're going to want to use some type of T-cell engager like a bispecific or a CAR-T, destroying some of your T-cell population with high doses of alkylator therapy may not be the optimal next step. Anything else that you would add to that? My general preference would be if I can give patients CARs first, I'd prefer that. And this way patients get an extended break of not being on any treatment. And if the disease does come back, you can always utilize bispecifics. But that's the luxury that Dr. Richter and I have, but many of our colleagues in the community may not have that. Josh, what do you think? I completely agree. And I think this is why with the ever-increasing complexity of the landscape involving a center like one of ours or one of our colleagues to help guide the pathway through some of these decisions... Some of these therapies are available and will continue to be available to the community. Some of them may be a little more restricted 
to the academic centers. So I think it just requires ongoing collaboration across the board. What do you think would be your key takeaways for our learners today? We have brand new therapies that are here and new ones coming out very quickly. And we need to kind of all figure out a way to collaborate together to get them into our armamentarium. With these great response rates come brand new side effects. So really digging deep into knowing how to not only treat these side effects, but do everything we can to prevent them. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.